Amen. Well, to start off today, we are going to do something a little bit different and a surprise to some of us in the room. Bianca McSwain, would you please make your way to the front, to the stage? She literally just walked in the door, wasn't sure she was going to make it, but she skirted on in here, and now she's being called to the front. Give it up for Bianca. How you doing, V? Good. Well, today is a historic day. Bianca stepped in at a very pivotal time for True North. We were down in admin. Alyssa uh, just had a baby a couple months ago, and so we, we needed someone to fill that spot for Pastor Rod and I and to kind of fill the gap, and Bianca stepped up without missing a beat. And so she worked really hard. And she worked really long hours, and she did all that she could to make this ministry all that it is for you guys, because she has such a heart for everyone in this room. She has such a heart for ministry, and I got to see that firsthand working with Bianca. Um, we had lots of meetings at the coffee bar in my office. I would bug her in her cubicle. So uh, we wanted to just spend some time just saying, hey, we're grateful for you, Bianca. We're grateful for everything that you did. We know that you did not have to, to step up. You did not have to fill in in that voluntary way, and so we're grateful um, for that. And so we actually have a, a surprise gift for you that Abby here is going to bring. It's a giving tree. But it's like gift cards. We've got Starbucks, all kinds of things. There's a $20 bill right there. That's pretty nice. So again, we're just, we're so, we're so grateful for you. We're so thankful. And I, re I highly respect Bianca. I respect her ministry and I, I'm grateful for what she has done here. So let's give it up for Bianca. Thank you. Well, speaking of people that I respect, I think we all have people in our lives who we look up to. In fact, I want to ask that question as we continue today. Who, who is it in your life that perhaps you, you look up to, that you respect, that you admire? I know for me that there was a college professor that, that I had at Cedarville. He was kind of the, the chair of my degree. I've said many times from the platform, but I got a youth ministry degree at Cedarville University. And so he was the guy that, that taught most of the classes that I took. And so I got to spend a lot of time with him, got to know him. Got, and we just kind of gelled in, in a lot of different ways. I highly respect him as a teacher, as a man of God, as a father, as a husband. And so I just got to spend some time with him personally in his office. And obviously I took a lot of classes with him. And so some of the greater, some of the things that I respect about him most specifically, I guess you could say, would be his faith. And I would say he, among any other Cedarville professor, was more influential for me and just shaping me, shaping my faith, shaping how I view in ministry. The very thing that I'm doing today is a lot of that background comes from this guy, Dr. Hutchison. So I think, again, for all of us, maybe there's people in your life that you, you are thinking of in terms of, hey, you respect uh, this person for their faith, you admire them, there's things about them that you, you, that you would like to be said of you, that you would like to have be characteristics uh, of you. And so I think today we come to a passage where we encounter a character in the storyline of the, of the Bible that has some of these similar things that we're talking about in terms of a character that, that we can look up to, a character that we can respect, that we can look at her faith and say, there, there's things about her faith that, that I want to be said of me. That when people say, Josiah Smith is X, Y, and Z, I want to, to, 
them to, to say some of the similar things that we can say of this character in our story in Luke chapter 1. Obviously, in, in Luke chapter 1, we, we read of Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. Now, Mary obviously is a famous character in the Bible. As we, we spoke last week, people, uh, the average person in America knows of the story of, of Mary and Joseph and the virgin birth. And so she's, she's quite popular. But, uh, but I think that today we should focus on certain things uh, about Mary, not necessarily what she did, right, in terms of, uh, you know, birthing Christ, being the mother of Jesus. I don't want to necessarily focus so much on that. While that is important, I think there's things that um, we could focus on that would be helpful for us in terms of, of her character and what she did. The things that, that were kind of in the background of, of her response to the situation that she was placed in that we will read of today. And I hope and I trust that for all of us that we can look at Mary and that we can say, okay, there's certain things about her faith that I want to replicate, that I want to model in my own life personally. And when people look at me, I want them to say, these are true of, of Josiah or whoever else, because as similar to that of of Mary. So I hope that we can all walk away encouraged and challenged by, by Mary and specifically her faith. And we can say that that is someone that we respect and that we want to model after. So Luke chapter one is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter one. We're going to be in verses 26 through 38 today as we continue on. Luke chapter one, I'll begin in verse 26. It says this, in the sixth month of in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As we continue today, I want us to look back up really quickly at, at verse 26. And just that first phrase specifically, it says, In the sixth month. So Luke includes this seemingly passing detail. It's just briefly mentioned at the beginning, and then we kind of come full circle to it later on in our passage. But basically, what this is saying is there's a, there's a story. Right before we get to the story of Mary and Joseph and, and, and the virgin birth, there's a story about Zechariah and Elizabeth who are, who are unable to have a child, our text says, because she is barren. And an angel similarly approaches them and says, hey, you're going to be given a child. I know that you're old in age. I know that you are barren, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're going to give you a child. And so there's, there's parallels that, that Luke draws for us to consider today in terms of that story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and this story of Mary specifically. So keep that in the back of your mind. All right, we're just going to, we're going to return to that in a moment, but that's what we want to know in terms of verse 26 in the sixth month. So the rest of verse 26 says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
Now, Nazareth itself was, was more so, I guess you could say, a village than a city, at least in the way that, that we know it. Right? We live in Orange County, California, one of the richest counties in the world. There's just houses everywhere. I was driving a couple nights ago with my wife. I don't remember what street we were on, but we looked out over this kind of like canyon area, and there was just hills and hills and hills of, of, of just rows and rows and rows of houses. I mean, it's just jam-packed. And Nazareth, would, would, in some ways, in many ways actually, would be the complete opposite of that. It would be more a village than it would be a city. In fact, the total population of, of Nazareth was, would have been only about a couple hundred people. And so to put that into perspective, if you take all of the people that are currently in this room right now, we would make up probably the, the, the total number of individuals that lived in Nazareth during this time. Think about it this way, the, the total number of people in this room, right, the total number of people who lived in Nazareth made up about 25% of the overall makeup of Compass Bible Church as a whole. Like the people who come here every single weekend, there's like three to 4,000 of us, 25% of us would have been, we, we could have made Nazareth like five times over, four times, 25% is a quarter, four quarters of a dollar, got it. <laughs> But 25%, right? We could have made this, this town four times over. So Luke's basically drawing our attention and just saying, hey, this, this, there's just nothing special about this town. It's very small. There's nothing crazy going on. It's just kind of this quaint little village, and there's nothing really intrinsically special about it. And so to put it lightly, right, it was, it was just unimpressive, right? There was nothing special. It, it was pretty underwhelming. So if you look at verse 27, it says, to a virgin betrothed to a man who, whose, whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So last week we talked at length in our sermon about Joseph and about the betrothal process and, and, and what that meant. Uh, but if you weren't here, basically a quick summary of that is when you were getting married during this time in biblical times, it was kind of a two-step process. Right? The first step in the process would have been the betrothal period, which is where Mary and Joseph found themselves in this specific text. And then the second would have been obviously them consummating their marriage in a more formal way, I guess you could say. But the difference between you know, a betrothal during that point, which today would be kind of a modern-day equivalent of an engagement, but it would have been a lot more formal. It's as if they had walked to the, the courthouse, had signed their marriage license, and, and were legally married, but they hadn't consummated their marriage in, in terms of the, the wedding or some sort of physical relationship. So Mary's still a virgin. They're in this betrothal process. We don't know how long they've been involved. Typically, it lasted up to uh, around a year, but we don't know where they were at in, in, in that time period, but that's where we see this today. So, but one of the things that we did not talk about in terms of the betrothal process was just the average age of people, most specifically girls, who got married during this time. So the average person that was seen as mature, which in their times meant an adult, basically right after puberty. So around 12 or 13 years old, they were seen as adults, and so they were expected to, hey, you need to carry your weight around the house, you need to get married. And so Mary, quite possibly, we don't know her exact age, was probably around the, the young age of 12 or 13 when she was betrothed, engaged to Joseph to be married. So essentially, what we have here, if we, if we recap all of this, is we have Nazareth, this small, tiny village that is unimpressive, right? There's nothing special to it. We have Mary, who's this very, very young girl barely 13, perhaps, and we have this crazy story that's going on. I mean, Mary and Joseph were not wasting any time, 
right, with, with getting married. But today we, we think about marriage, and the average marriage for guys today is, is 26 years old, I think, and, or maybe it's 28, and the, for, for women it's 27. We, we just pushed it back and pushed it back and pushed it back. I mean, they weren't worried about some of the things that we were worried about. Right? They weren't worried about getting a house and having a job and being financially secure and being mature. They're just like, let's do this thing. 13 years old, whatever, we got it. So that's what, that's what they're, right? they said, forget all that. In verse 28, it says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. He came to Mary, this angel, and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And so that phrase, the Lord is with you, is kind of a marker for us. It's a red flag, I guess you could say, of something that we need to understand to get the, 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 the overall gist of this text. So that phrase is a common phrase that you might find, or you do find, rather, all throughout the Old Testament. And typically when that is said, like the Lord is with you, God has commanded, issued, instituted someone to do something for him that most times was challenging. So he would say, hey, I've got something that I want you to do. It's going to be crazy hard, but don't worry, I'm going to be with you, is essentially what this means. And it's God's promise to them that regardless of, of the difficulty of what they're doing or what they will face or what they are currently facing, that the Lord has promised to be with them in an intimate way. And so that's how Mary would have taken this, knowing, we think, her, her Bible, knowing this, this story, knowing the way that God has operated in the past. She would have known the Lord is with you. She's, she's anticipating there's something coming that's about to be asked of me. And so let's, again, review what got us here. We got Nazareth. This, this kind of small town, dainty town, unimpressive. Um, uh, people weren't flocking there, right, for the prime real estate. It, it, I mean, there's just, it was, in fact, it, it was so unimpressive that the, in the Gospel of John, Nathaniel and, and John, chapter 1, literally says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, anything at all. Right? People, it was just something that people were just like, whatever, Nazareth, and it's not a big deal. Then Mary enters the scene, and we don't know much about her here, except that she's super young, she's a virgin, She's betrothed to Joseph. These are the only things that, that we know about her. And we don't really know what she was doing before this. I mean, the text doesn't mention that, or we don't really see that in, in the Bible. So to boil it all down, you have a regular old, unimpressive town where you find a regular old, normal, nothing special girl going about her daily life, doing whatever it is that she was doing, when she is suddenly approached uh, by this angel and it says, hey, I've got something that I want to tell, I want to tell you. I, I have a special plan for you, and the Lord is going to be with you. In fact, that there is something so special that you are going to do, it's going to have eternal impact and eternal ramifications for people, generations and generations to come. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story. And I think at this point, it might be natural for us to think that the reason that God chose Mary was because of her resume. When we go to apply for a job, you fill out a resume. It's essentially just this, this weird piece of paper that says, I, look how great I am. This is all the good stuff about me. It's kind of awkward. One of the things that I put on my resume just kind of as like a joke just to see if people would, it's not a joke, I actually did it, but the way that I phrased it, it just was kind of funny to see if people would say anything to me. I was a custodian at Cedarville, so I just cleaned toilets, obviously was my job. And so I put... Uh, custodial engineer as my title, which is ridiculous. And then I said, I, I, what did I say? I like implemented and executed a systematic plan of cleanliness. That's, that was my job. So you just like, you just say ridiculous things about how great you are. And so at this point, I think we, we, we can tend to say, okay, God must have chosen Mary because of her great 
resume, right? He, he, looks all, he looks all across the land that he thought about who was most qualified, who had done the most, you know, things that were impressive and chosen Mary because there just seemed to be something special innately, I guess, about her. But I believe this text frames both Nazareth and Mary in a way that tells us it's not about Mary's credibility. It's not what she's done. It's not that her resume, her impressive rap sheet. It's nothing like that. It's about her being faithful. And for what we can perceive, being faithful in the normal, in, in the average, in the everyday, day-to-day things that she was going about. So I think that's helpful for us to consider today. So point number one, if you want to think about it this way, we all need to recognize that normal is, in fact, the new special. But normal is the new special. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's so easy as Christians to get caught up and over-romanticize what serving the Lord looks like or, or what serving the Lord should look like. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a culture, we live in a society, I think people your age specifically, and this isn't specific to you, but uh, I think your age group is, is prone to this, is that we live our lives for these kind of snapshots, or I like to call them Instagrammable moments. Right, we live our life for the next moment that we can take a snapshot of and, and say, this is a great thing that I've done. A lot of people call it a wanderlust, people, dreamers, visionaries, all of these kinds of things. That's, what comes with that is a sense of unsettlement. Right? You can't make a decision about what kind of job you want to do or, or what kind of a career you want to choose because you want to do all, all of these great and grand things, and so you don't want to be limited by a nine-to-five, or you don't want to be limited by an average job. You want to do these, these snapshot things. You want to do these Instagrammable moments. Right? That's how a lot of us live our lives. And I think, unfortunately, that tends to spill over into our Christian life. We live our life as a Christian and looking for this next snapshot, right? It can take the form of, of like maybe going on a missions trip, right? That, that's a snapshot that people look forward to. It's the spiritual thing. It's this Instagrammable moment that people tend to often do, right? It's, it's, do, it's doing community service or it's, it's even, you know, looking for, I'll, 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 I'll get involved when there's a, a, the next TNU. That's, that's a snapshot. That's an Instagrammable moment. I'll get involved when revival comes or I'll, I'll do this when some of these big moments come rather than thinking about our lives in terms of the day-to-day rather than these Instagrammable moments. And so I, I, while I, I, obviously I don't necessarily know what Mary was doing before her Instagrammable moment, right? Her Instagrammable moment of, hey, she's about to birth Christ. Like, she has the Instagrammable moment of all time. Or she could have put that and it would have gotten millions of likes, right? But I don't know what she was doing before that, but I, isn't that kind of the point? Right? Luke doesn't give us a feed, right? A, a Twitter feed, an Instagram feed of all the great things that God has done in Mary's life, right? And all the great things that he has allowed Mary to do. We just don't know what she's been up to. Instead, he, he paints a very ordinary picture, of a, norm, a normal picture of an ordinary normal girl who was tasked with something that was actually, we know to be, extraordinary. While there, no one in here, obviously, is going to be selected as the next virgin to be birthing another Christ, right? That's, I mean, you, you can sleep soundly tonight. Right? There's, there's lessons that I think that are rooted in this principle and displayed through Mary's faith specifically, even just as, especially as a normal 13-year-old girl. You see, Mary's response to what Gabriel tells her gives us a window into what kind of woman 
Jesus' mother really was. And I think focusing on her response can be helpful for us in considering this point of recognizing normal as the new special. So look at verse 29 with me, if you would. But she was greatly troubled, it says, at the saying. He had just said, hey, Mary, the Lord is going to be with you, which is is basically him saying there's something that the Lord is going to ask you to do, and it's going to be huge. And it's going to require the Lord being with you because you're not going to be able to do this on your own. So she says she was greatly troubled at that, greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So here's where Mary's at in this whole thing. Right? An angel approaches her out of nowhere, which arguably is, is probably a cause for being overwhelmed. Right? If an angel approached me in the middle of the night and just said, Josiah, I want you to go do something, I'd probably be like, this is crazy. I'm crazy would probably be more of the, the thing. That, that I would say. So she, she starts off a little bit, it seems like kind of, you know, a little bit off guard, perhaps maybe overwhelmed. Um, but Gabriel begins what he's saying to her by, by making a qualifying statement. And I don't know if, I, I have a lot of admittedly pet peeves. I've talked about some of them um, from the pulpit. But one of my pet peeves is, is when people qualify things. And what I mean by that is basically like, they're going to tell you something that's bad, but they won't just tell you that it's bad. They'll say, well, uh, this, is, uh, this is nothing against you. Right? It's not, this isn't your fault, but and they'll say something else. Right? And the classic, I think people in this room know this well. Right? You get the texting, your iPhone rings, and the text says, we need to talk. Right? Or I've got something I need to tell you. It's just, they don't just say whatever it is that they want to say. They just they like preface it. They try to prepare you. They dance around it. They play, they're tap dancing, and they're like, okay, now I can tell you whatever it is. That, please don't do that. Just tell me. Like, right? If you want to tell me something, just tell me. Don't say, Josiah, you're a great person. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, you're trash. Right? Just, just tell me I'm trash. All right? So, um, well, that's, well, that's what we see my man's Gabriel, which he's not really a man, I guess. He's an angel. But that's what we see Gabriel doing in, in this text. He, he, um, he qualifies what he's about to say to Mary, and we haven't even really gotten to what he's about to tell her in terms of the meat, in terms of this is actually what you're going to do. And so he basically says, hey, Mary, this is about to be real weird. It's going to seem super whack, but don't worry, the Lord's got you. Right? That's where Gabriel's at, and that's what he's telling her. Okay? So if we continue, here's how Mary responds to that, verse 29. She says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So here's where I think we get a clear picture of, of normal being the new special. Uh, when we read that Mary was greatly troubled in this text, I think that some of us misunderstand what that means. Right? This isn't Mary was not having some sort of anxiety attack. Right? She, was not, she didn't need to run and get her inhaler or anything like that. Gabriel had just informed her that God is going to use her for something huge, something big. So being troubled, obviously, is an understandable thing. That's a natural response. So she's just processing what's, what's going on here. And her response, we can see in the text, is not that of fear and doubt and anxiety, which is honestly what we would expect. That's what we'd say, okay, this is a natural thing. This is how most of us in this room would respond to this type of situation. The text says she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So this implies that her initial response Right before she does anything else is to take everything that Gabriel has just said and to hold it as absolute truth. That everything that he has said to her, like the qualifying statement and everything that he's about to say to her is going to be true. And she's bracing herself on that fact. She comes at it from that position. And so her attempts to discern what sort of greeting this might be is not her wondering whether or not this was true. It's her believing that it is true 
in considering what this is going to mean for her and probably Joseph you know, for the remainder of their lives. So in fact, if we, if we go back to the story of, of Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? you all remember that, verse 26, when the angel told Zechariah that he would have a child, his response was one of disbelief. He responded in chapter 1 of our text in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Right? The angel tells him, you're going to have a son. They're old. She's barren. Doesn't seem possible. And he says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And his tone, in contrast to Mary's, was that of unbelief. And we know that because the angel responded by saying in verse 20, You will be silent. And then able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so what we see in Luke chapter 1 is these two contrasting stories of Zechariah not responding in faith. His His initial response is to say, I don't believe what you're going to say because I'm old, my wife's barren, and we're not going to have this child. I do not believe this. And he gets punished as a result of it. He gets punished for his lack of faith. But with our text, in Mary's response, we don't see any sort of punishment. We don't see a Gabriel saying, okay, you didn't believe what I said. We don't see any of that, which implies that she initially, immediately responds with a response, with a heart and an attitude of faith. Well, how, do this, how does this connect to, to normal being the new special? So think about it this way. What kind of woman do you think Mary had to be in order for an angel to appear before her to tell her all of this crazy stuff, that there's something wax about to happen, and for her response to be immediately to respond in faith. Well, that didn't just happen. Right? Mary just didn't suddenly get hit with winds of inspiration to believe the, the weird. Right? That's not what's, she had to, there's a, there's a common a phrase that I heard often in, in sports. I know it's, it's heard, people say it a lot, a lot in just in terms of performances, musicals, whether you're in a play. It says, hey, if you want to perform well, you need to practice how you play. You need to prepare yourself in a way so that when you get to whatever it is that you're doing, or whatever it is that you're performing, you will perform it how you practiced it. I think that's the same principle here in this text is that Mary didn't just show up on game day ready to, to knock heads, right? She, was, she had to practice and she had to prepare herself in terms of this response. So I think this is kind of one of those what would you do situations. We hear a lot of those in the Christian faith, right? What would you do in this situation? How would you respond? Right? If someone walks into your school and says, hey, are you a Christian or I'm going to harm you kind of thing, we all want to be saying we all want to believe that, yeah, yeah, like I would say yes, and I would take whatever punishment that came. And so I think this is a similar what would you do situation, right? If if an angel came to you, an angel said, hey, you're going to do something crazy. No one's going to believe you. It's not going to make any sense. In fact, it's going to be earthly and from an earthly perspective, impossible. But don't worry, the Lord is with you. How would you respond? We see that Mary's response was obviously one of maturity and faith. She did not summon, again, she did not summon these things in the moment or out of nowhere. She did not just suddenly have faith. She had been preparing herself in the day-to-day, average, normal moments that led her up to this grand moment. And this text implies, obviously, again, that because of Mary's faithfulness in her average, normal, everyday life, she was equipped and prepared to receive God's direction and instruction even if it seemed kind of whack in the moment. 
right? Her preparation in these normal moments, not looking to live her life by snapshot to snapshot, Instagrammable moment by Instagrammable moment. She was just being faithful in everyday moment, the mundane, right? Living in boring old Nazareth where there's only 300 other people who all know each other and who are annoyed by each other because they know all of each other's business, right? This is what's going on in Mary's life. And this equipped her and readied her to respond with faith and trust when Gabriel appeared to her and told her, this is what the Lord has for you. So if we look, if we continue in our text today, verses 30 through 34, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. So he qualifies it, and this is, this is him saying, this is what's going to happen. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? So our story continues with Gabriel, again, revealing exactly what it is that she is being called to do, what she's being instructed to do by the Lord. He tells her how she will conceive of a son. We all know him to be Jesus, who last week we talked about who is coming, who came to save his people from their sin. And Mary, continuing to display this faith that we're talking about and trust in what Gabriel is saying, asks a practical, clarifying question. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, in contrast to what we read in terms of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he asked a similar question, but this one is not asked out of, out of disbelief, it's asked in belief. Again, it's, she recognizes that what the angel is saying is going to happen relatively soon. Right? And this is obviously a problem because A, she's a virgin, can't get pregnant if you're a virgin, just you guys were wondering. B, she's in the betrothal period where Joseph, they, they, they don't have a sexual relationship right, because they haven't consummated their marriage. And so this, this seems like a problematic thing. How is this going to happen? This is not, from an earthly perspective, possible. So in other words, she, she seeks clarity on what it is that God is actually asking of her to do, that God is instructing her to do. She's been given a task, and now she's saying, I want some clarity on what this is going to mean. I want some clarity on how I can be even more faithful to the task that I am being called to. And so I think that we can learn from that today, all of us, including myself, uh, in terms of what we should do and what God is calling us to do. And so point number two, all of us need to not be ignorant of God's calling for you. So don't be ignorant of God's calling for you. We see that in verses 30 through 34 that we just read. And that word calling is kind of a scary word uh, for a lot of us. So let me put it to you this way. As Christians, God has instructed you and really, really commanded you to do very specific certain things. And I think it would be helpful for us to take a page out of Mary's playbook when we consider what this looks like in our personal lives, when the Lord is instructing us to do things that may seem crazy or that may seem hard or difficult and how we should respond. Because whether or not you even know these things, right, there are certain things that God has spelled out in Scripture for you to do if you are genuinely a believer, a follower of Christ, and it would obviously be helpful for you to know what those things are. So let me just start by kind of laying down this, this ground statement. God's will for your life, students, is not some mystery, some elusive puzzle for you to solve. 
Right? He didn't just you know, do some crazy like Rubik's Cube, God style, and throw it in the corner and say, okay, good luck. You have to solve it, right? And just, and you have to, that's not how God's will is. It's not, how it, it's not what we see all throughout Scripture, but that's how oftentimes we treat it. That's how we talk about it. Right? If we pray hard enough, if, if we fast enough, if we do all of these kinds of things, God's will, there's going to be a beam of light that comes from the sky and it's going to say, this is what you should do. Right? That's, that's how we often talk about God's will. Whether or not we think those things, right? that's kind of how functionally we do believe in God's will. That it's something that we have to like, look under the rocks and, and you know, dig holes to find. And, and that's not what God's word says. I think that all of you, are in a stage of life currently where, where you are searching for God's will, or where you're faced with decisions, where you're faced with certain circumstances where you want to know, what is God calling me to do? What is it that God's will is for my life? And so there's, there's questions of, you know, should you date that guy or girl? What's God's will for that? Should you go to you know, a university, a state, a state school, or should you go to a community school? What's God's will? What's he calling me to, right? Should you go to college at all? What should you study? What career should you pursue? What job should you apply for? Who should you marry? Should you get married at all? There's all these kinds of questions that are going to be facing you in the next couple years. Probably right now if you are a junior or a senior. And I'm sure you're all at some point have had that conversation. It's just, I just want to know God's will. Just pray for me that I will be in God's will. That I will not be out of it. And just all of these different things that, that we talk about. And although we, we don't have angels appearing to us, obviously or clouds forming in the sky with arrows saying, go this way, right? we, we do have God's word that, that 2 Peter 1.3 says, gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you want to know what God's will is for you, high school students, you want to know what it is, you know, what to, decision to make for all of those questions that I listed off, or maybe questions that I didn't mention, but things in your life, but you're searching for God's will and you just can't seem to find an answer. You don't know exactly what to do. Well, I'm going to give you the answer right now. So everyone take out their pens. You're going to write this down. This is the secret sauce to God's will, right? There's two things specifically. If you want to know God's will, if you want to be in God's will, if you want to do God's will, here it is. Two things. The first thing you need to do is you need to A, live for Christ, and B, you need to die to yourself. And some of you are like, man, just I thought you were going to tell me. I mean, that's, that's what it is. That's what God's word says. He says, if you want to know my will for you, you need to live for Christ and you need to die to self. And I know there's specific ways that God's will, there's, he calls us to certain things. Right? I think he called me to ministry and that can be confusing. But outside of all that, he gives us a very concrete, specific things that we can know and that we can do based off of scripture. And that is to live for Christ and to die to ourselves. And we die to ourselves, right? Because we're, we're sinful and we're prideful and we're arrogant and we taint everything with our sin. And so by dying to ourselves, it allows us to continue to live for Christ in ways that are better and more fruitful than we did before. So again, God's not going to send you an angel. Right? He's not going to light a tree on fire next to you when you ask him to do something, right? Or, or just to give you a sign, right? The Bible says, don't put God to the test. But look at verse 34 again. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She asked for clarification, but she asked in faith. She knows that what is being said to her is not physically possible. We talked about that. She's a virgin, can't have a baby, hasn't had sex. This isn't going to work. Like, how is this going to be? So she asks a clarifying question, and she knows that it will require a miraculous work on God's part to get this done because she can't do this. This isn't something that is a natural phenomenon, right? It's not something that can be done. And she says, this is her response. 
Or when she's faced with this, these instructions that she's been given to God, she says, I believe you. I believe everything that you've just said to me, Gabriel. Hey, and guess what? I am pumped. I'm super excited, right? I'm jazzed. I'm ready to go. Let's do this thing. And she says, how are we going to do it? How are we going to get this done? How is this going to happen? She asks this clarifying question. So she first, she receives the instructions from Gabriel, right? Ultimately from God. She receives the instructions and then does the work of thinking critically. That's important. She does the work of thinking critically about her instructions and what they will mean for her as she continues to walk in faith. So students, today, that obviously the take-home, the application of that would be you need to do the work of reading God's word and thinking critically about what it is saying for you and how you should live your life. We want to talk about all these nuanced, specific situations of what car you should buy, what school you should go to, what girl you should marry. Okay, I get all of that, but God's Word says He has very practical, tangible things that you can know and that you can do, so let's just start there. And you need to think critically. You need to first know God's Word, you need to love God's Word, and then you need to do God's Word. His, his will is clear, it's practical, and it can be known, and it can be understood if you are faithful to be in God's Word. So let's look at the final four verses of our text today. Verse 35 says, And the angel answered her. So they're having this dialogue going back and forth. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, ding, 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 remember, bring that back up. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the climax of our story today. This is the climax of our text. And here's ultimately what Mary does, at least in the Josiah translation of what Mary does. Right? She full sins for the Lord. That's point number three. Full send for the Lord. That's right there in the Greek. Don't worry. So we know that Mary lived her, lived her life in such a way that prepared her for this exchange with Gabriel. We talked about that. She was faithful in the normal. She was faithful in the average, everyday moments. She wasn't living her life in this for the snapshots, for the Instagrammable moments. She was just doing what she knew she had to do, doing her daily responsibilities, and she prepared herself for this exchange that she had with Gabriel. She lived a life of faithfulness, right, even in the boring old town of Nazareth. And then she received with eager faith the instructions that she believed to be, that she knew to be, that she trusted to be from the Lord. And she did the critical work of understanding, asking questions, clarifying questions, what it was that she was going to be asked to do. And now we see her ultimate response. Again, in verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. At Cedarville, there's a, there's a lake. It's called Cedar Lake. Everything in Cedarville is cedar something, right? Cedar spray, which is, we have a fountain in the middle, and it kind of, the wind blows it into your face. Cedar spray. We have fish, cedar sharks, Cedar Lake. So we have Cedar Lake in the middle of our campus, and one of the big no-nos of Cedarville is you're not allowed to go in the lake at all. It's like a health hazard because it's gross. It's a man-made lake, and like the fish swim upside down because they're, it's weird. But so you're not allowed to go in the lake, and, and so if you, in fact, if you get caught Going, being in the lake, swimming in the lake, whatever, you get fined $200, which is a lot of dollars. So you get fined $200. So one day, 
it's 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 raining horrendously hard in Cedarville, Ohio. So I know you guys are it's rains foreign here, but it's raining so hard that all of the power campus wide just just it's gone, no power. And so what, my, my friends and I had a group of friends. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to tell you the thought that I just had. But I had a group of friends that um, we had a nickname. I'm going to tell you anyways. We had a nickname. Or, I'm not going to tell you. Sorry, I just having this internal debate. We had a nickname for our, our group of friends. It was not squad goals or anything like that. But um, so, anyways, we, we were like, what what are we you know what are we going to do? There's no power. Can't play video games. Fortnite wasn't a thing that. But so we we're like, what are we going to do? The obvious natural response is we took off our shoes and we started running around in the rain. Right? We're we're, we're jumping in the puddles because it was deep. I mean, you could like swim in some areas of campus. So we're jumping in puddles, we're sliding across the grass, we're having a, just a grand old time, right? And so, you know, we haven't been in the gym lately, so we kind of, we're, we're out of breath, so we, t- we take, a, you know, we take a, a rest to catch our breath, and so we're kind of standing in this, this, this huddle, like huffing and puffing, because we've been running around campus, and one of my friends, he, he locks eyes with me super intensely, right? And he, he, he just asks, he just says one word to me, and he, he goes, Lake? And I just, I just stare back at him. There's just like silence. Everyone of my friends is like forming like an arch around me. We're all just looking at me to answer this question. Like I'm leading this pack. Like whatever decision that I make is what's going to happen next. And so it's just silent. And I literally, there was no thoughts in my mind. It was just for the dramatic effect that I didn't say anything. But I, I, so I, there's a silence. And then I say, let's go. And then so we all took off running, just sprinting towards the lake. And one by one, we all just just cannonballed right into the lake. I, I, I admittedly, I broke the rules. I wouldn't encourage that, but I did. And, and so the long story short, we got in the lake. We didn't get caught. I can tell the story today. But I, I, I tell you that because um, I think there's some parallels of, of what that type of moment was like to what Mary was doing here in this text, right? In our text today, we see Mary give a, a similar response, but instead of cannonballing into a lake, Right, she cannonballs right into obedience to God's word, right? I was so excited to say that from this point. I was really looking forward to it. Now, I know, this is, I know that's a silly way to put that, right? That's, you know, whatever. But I think that the implications of her response is, is something that we can learn from. Similarly to, to what we talked about last week with Joseph, Mary does not waste a single breath or a single moment. Her and Gabriel have this gaze lock, right? And he says, faith. And she just, let's go. And she just full sins, right? She full sins for the Lord. Just not a second thought, right? She does the, she has faith enough. She just walks in obedience and it's just immediate. And she just goes for it. She, she knew, she knew what this was going to mean for her and Joseph, right? We talked about how they were betrothed. We talked about last week about how if, if she had been found cheating on Joseph, that she could have been killed. She could have been stoned in Deuteronomy 22. She knew that Joseph might not believe her, the, the, the man that she was betrothed to. She knew that he might not believe that this exchange that, he, that she had just had with Gabriel was, was a real thing. Because most of us, if any of you came up to me and said any of this to me, I, I would say, get out of my face, right? Because that, that's just what... We just wouldn't, she didn't know if Joseph would believe him or not, but it didn't matter, right? The cost to Mary didn't matter at all. What mattered to Mary, and this is what's important for all of us, was obedience. That's faith-driven 
obedience. That, that it was because she had been faithful in the little, that, that she was equipped and prepared. She practiced how she ultimately was going to play. She asked clarifying questions, and she believed that what God had for her was going to be good and that she was going to walk in obedience. Students, I think today God has commanded you similarly to be obedient to his word. And it may look different. It may not be with angels. It may not be with all of these different things, but the, the, the command remains the same. That he has given you clear, practical, tangible instructions for what his will is for your life. And now the, the, that you're, you're all faced with this moment, right? This, this gaze lock where you have to respond and say, are you going to respond in obedience or are you going to walk away from what God has for you? And so may Mary be an example to all of us in, in what this looks like and what this faith looks like and what this character looks like to be faithful in the things that God has commanded all of us to do. Let's pray.